Hello and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Upper Bowl GM podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis. Really good episode for you guys today, talking about the Boston Bruins with Bradley of the Line Changes podcast. We're going to unpack the Bruins 2021 season, why they fared so well against the Washington Capitals in their first round series. A little bit looking ahead, whether they play the Penguins or the Islanders, as we recorded this episode, those two teams were playing game five. We won't know who the Bruins are playing for at least another couple of days, but We have a really good conversation. We're going to unpack some things and try and help you, the listener, understand a little bit more about one of the teams that, for whatever reason, has had staying power in this decade. They've had to undergo some renovations, we'll say. They've missed the playoffs once or twice. They've drafted okay. They've done a good job of identifying guys that once they fit with what Boston wants to do, they don't let them go anywhere else. They have guys who buy into what the Bruins are about. And you, you can tell the Bruins have a clear identity. They play a particular style and they have a group of guys who believe in the way they want to play. But before I get to the conversation to uh, on today's show with Bradley, I do have to remind everyone to help grow the show whatever way you can. Whatever podcast platform is your preference, whether you are an Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever platform you like podcasts on, this podcast is there. So if you would, please throw a follow. If you are using Apple's podcasting service, I have an extra ask of you. Please, please, please. Go to the show's page, scroll all the way to the bottom. There are going to be five purple stars. You got to hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. Beneath that is a button that says writer review in purple letters. Take an extra minute. Leave me some words. I'd appreciate it. All that said, I will see you guys with Bradley in a sec. Schultz and hesitation allowing Smith to take the puck and he scores! Greg Smith! Game three, double overtime winner for the Boston Bruins. They lead the series two games to one. And with that, as promised, the host, one of the hosts of the Line Changes pod. How are we doing, Bradley? Good. How about yourself? It's a great time of year. We got playoff hockey, three, four games a night, even if they're starting at weird times. I don't know why Vegas isn't starting till 1030 on the East Coast. Not ideal, but... We'll make do. We're content people. We need to be able to watch hockey. We are here, of course, to talk about your Bruins. They prevailed pretty convincingly in one of the closer five-game series we've ever seen. I think that's the way you called it. It was very entertaining. So we'll start with the obvious. Where did Boston find the second year? Because there was a decent stretch this year where I really wasn't convinced they were going to have a decent chance come postseason time because they weren't scoring at one point they were i think 28th in the league at five on five goals like there was a real concern that they just weren't going to be able to score enough what clicked for them down the stretch here is is it too easy to just say taylor hall uh that might be the easy way out but i think that's the majority of it um yeah like you said before even the trade deadline and in the march was when they really I guess if you could say hit that rock bottom where they just weren't finding the goals to win. They had some injuries and 
obviously everyone knows the goalie carousel they had for a little bit, but Taylor Hall, once he got to the Bruins, he made that second line just click and it's it's been history ever since pretty much. It's really, really interesting because you see how much of an impact one player can have. And we've seen this from Boston over the years where if they can get the second line going to complement the first line of Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marshawn, usually that's enough for them because they play such good fundamental defense. Since Cassidy took over, I would say, they since 2018-2019, they've been a really good defensive team. And it's interesting because when you look at the talent – I would go as far as to say they have a more talented forward group than a defense, but they just don't give up a ton of goals for whatever reason. Yeah, I thought that was going to be their biggest problem, you know, moving on from Zdeno Chara and Tori Krug, having the young guys, you know, hopefully step up was a big question mark. But from the get-go, that wasn't, that wasn't the issue, and that was very surprising to say the least. Because you look through, and I mentioned it, it's one of the things I have on our rundown here, is they had to use a lot of different guys on that back end because of injuries, you had the COVID hiccup happen, and there was a point where you were running not the entirety of the Providence Bruins on the back end, but, you know, three guys who were more or less AHL 7th defenseman types, and they were able to tread water for long enough to get healthy, and... Yeah. They're as healthy as they can be, aside from Kashe, who unfortunately isn't going to be able to return for the playoffs. I've always been pretty high on him, but they have as good a forward group as anyone in the East. I'd say I'd probably take them over Pittsburgh just because I don't know if Jeff Carter's going to turn back into a pumpkin or not. There's a chance he does, but yeah. we'll see about that. So I always like to start here with someone the first time I have them on the podcast, because this is a show about the psychosis that we sports fans endure that our teams put us through. It's only natural to start with where you started that with. So the most obvious question is what is your earliest memory of sports and how do you remember getting into it? Uh, well, growing up, uh, well, growing up in New York, I was always a, a Yankees fan, actually, surprisingly enough, given my, mm. my diehard love of the Bruins, but so yeah, it was basically, basically baseball as a kid. And then uh, there's a local college where I live where uh, the hockey team was pretty popular and stuff. So I actually got into hockey that way. And I didn't really follow the NHL until uh, one of my family members had to go to Boston for some medical stuff. And uh, that's actually how I started following the Bruins. And yeah, it's been a, been quite the journey watching <laughs> So what's your earliest Bruins memory? Are we talking like the 2000, late 2000s? Are we talking about the Claudillion yeah. teams of the last decade? Ballpark meters yeah. wise. Yeah, I'd say that uh, series against um, oh, Carolina, I think it was in 2009 when yeah. the Hurricanes beat the Bruins in seven or something like that. Yeah, that was, that's the earliest part I can gotcha gotcha what was the light bulb moment where you were like well fuck this is kind of my life now with, with sports what was your uh wow this is kind of all i want to do oh that's tough to say <laughs> i uh obviously going back to the yankee side of things you know growing up and with the Derek jeter teams and all that just the excitement that was always around the team and all that pretty much like wow look at how how diehard everything is and how involved everything is it just left a big impression on me early 
what was the point where you said to yourself, I want to, this is what I want to do for a living. I don't know what exactly I want to do around sports, but when did you kind of know, like, this is what you had to do? Uh, probably middle half high school. And I was like, mm. uh, all these other, uh, all these other professions don't sound, uh, too interesting. And, you know, I, I love sports to death, so I might as well try to try to love what I do for a living. <laughs> It's a good way to look at it. I mean, it's definitely a lot easier when you're doing what the kind of stuff we're doing where, yes, the content creation is a grind. It's not the most rewarding thing, but it's a lot more fun than, you know, doing Excel spreadsheets is the way I'll put it. Absolutely. So one of the important things about the Bruins and why they've been so successful for so long over the last, I'd say, 10-ish years or so, going back to winning the Cup against Vancouver is the continuity they've they've managed to identify individuals who as they were younger the ones they liked that stuck they grew into important players i still remember tory krug's first ever playoff series because he had yeah. 13 points in five games against the rangers and embarrassed a decent rangers team and he stuck around for a long time they got every bit of value they could out of him and they got to a point last offseason where they figured well we want to be able to do this going forward and we can't afford to give him more than that and they got the most out of him they could without breaking their budget and going over but from a team building perspective i always say the bruins are one of like the two or three models you really want to go for because they really allocate their money well, and they're not overcommitted to any one player or position group where, yes, it helps that Bergeron took, a, I'd say, a below market contract early. And it's sure. kind of hard for anyone else on the team to be like, yeah, I want more than him when he so obviously sets the tone for everything else. So explain a little bit about from what you know that why it works for the Bruins in terms of the intangible stuff, the culture stuff of once you get here, you're going to want to stay here. Yeah, going back to, you know, Krug and everything, I, I remember some interviews he did where he was talking about coming into that locker room, you know, two years after a cup, you know, with Bergeron, uh, Chara, Seidenberg, Rask, you know, all these veterans who just understand that uh, it takes more than just on ice performance to win a championship. And Chara was amazing on the ice for the Bruins for so long, but he created such a culture and such a winning, oh, I don't even know what the right word is, but just that aura around him helped cement, you know, into Bergeron and then falling from Bergeron to Marchand and then, you know, on down the list to the younger players that they have now. And it's just, it's, it's incredible to see. It really is. It really is one of those things that I think a lot of teams want to be able to replicate, but it is so hard to be able to do. And I do think for what it's worth that what Z did was invaluable, where, like you said, he was a really dominant player for a long stretch of time. But as he got older, even if he wasn't the most effective player anymore in terms of that, he's still one of, if not the best leaders in hockey on the team for as long as he was there. And like you said, passed it on from one person to another. And when you get everybody buying in, it's not a surprise that the Bruins are always in the playoffs and always making reasonable runs because all these guys know what to do. They know what they're asked to do. They know what the expectation is. They know how they have to play. And it just works for them. I really think 
it really obviously it helps that their best players are also some of their big leaders like obviously having Bergeron who you know on any other team aside from the Bruins probably would have been a captain for like five or six years now because you know yeah. Chara was there but <laughs> just there's so there's so many fundamental important building blocks where they've got everything kind of figured out now at the top end of things and it's just a matter of figuring out those depth pieces where it's figuring out know, how you're going to fill out your bottom four and then your bottom six. And the team this year, I really like what they've done at forward with some of the guys. I, I know I've, I've always had an affinity for Craig Smith because he's the perfect middle six player. Cause he's not flashy, mm-hmm. but he's going to do everything you want and he's not expensive. I just really wonder what do you think the ceiling is for this core of guys and how long can it maintain? I know that was a little bit earlier, later down in the rundown, but now that we're talking about it, I kind of, I do want to go to it here. How much longer do you think with this group, they can stay this competitive? Uh, well, it all depends. Cause obviously just like every team as you know, the years go by, you got the younger guys stepping in and how well they, uh, you know, can scout and find these young players to eventually step in. Uh, I'd say they have at least two years left. After that, I think it kind of gets a little uh, iffy, especially with the ages of, you know, Bergeron, Marchand, and, well, I was going to say Rask, but they look pretty good in, in net without Rask. But, yeah, it all depends. I mean, they've their drafting history has kind of been a little bit questionable. I mean, everyone looks to 2015, but they did make some good draft decisions, obviously, getting David Pasternak at 24th overall, Charlie McAvoy at 14th, you know. But, yeah, I'd say two more, then it gets a little iffy, and you got to hope that the young guys can come and step up and, you know, make a good free agent signing that's not John Moore for five years at almost $3 million per to sit in the press box all season. Yeah, definitely, definitely a weird one. And it's interesting. When we think about the Bruins, you think about Bergeron, you think about Pasta, Marshawn, Rask. I need you to explain this to me in two parts, because first, I need to understand the way the Boston media landscape works, because I think that's the easiest way to understand why there's the contingent of people who don't like Tuker Ask. So that's the first part is why, what's the media landscape around the Bruins like? And then why is there such a vocal group of people who don't think Rask is a good goaltender? Because the stats would tell you otherwise, whether you're talking about the regular season or the postseason. Yeah, uh, the good thing is most of the media is pretty f- pretty fair to Rask. I'd say there are a couple that are very out there in terms of criticizing him for literally anything at this point. <laughs> and, you know, everyone looks back to 2011 and what Tim Thomas did, just carrying that team through Vancouver and obviously the previous series, but that one in particular. And, you know, until that happens, I... They just look back and think, oh, well, he's not Tim Thomas because Tim Thomas won a cup. And that's the biggest thing. And obviously, that's what you want into your goalie. You need a goalie to win the cup. But uh, for several years there, when they had Matt Bolesky on the second line, you can't really blame the goaltender there. <laughs> yeah. And that was something I was also going to ask you was, do you feel like he's ever been, obviously, a, having a good goaltender is an important part of winning any playoff series. I think you really can't win a playoff series if you don't have at least league average, like 9, 10, say, percentage goaltending. Mm-hmm. Have you ever felt like he was at directly the reason they didn't win an important playoff series? Honestly, no. I 
I mean, you could make an argument of uh, allowing two goals in 17 seconds against the Blackhawks in 2013, but if you look at the replays of those goals, what what are the defense doing there? They completely lost their men, and I, I honestly, trying to think back, I can't. Um, you know, these recent ones, 2017 against Ottawa, the Bruins were without, I think, four of their six defensemen. 2018 against Tampa, they couldn't score a goal at five on five. I think they went four games without a five on five goal. And then 2019, we all know what happened there. <laughs> I, I give the Bruins the benefit of the doubt. They probably should have gotten that penalty at that, what was that, the end of game four or five in Boston, where yes. I forget who it was. Yeah, that was, that was tough. That That's a tough one. The Bruins deserve better in that series, but that's just the way playoff hockey is. Man. Oh, yeah. It's very weird where you, yeah. the best team rarely wins. The Absolutely. best team rarely wins, especially once you get deeper and deeper in the playoffs where Bennington, for what it's he's probably a league average goaltender, slightly oh, above sure. average. But, you know, you get a couple bounces in a playoff series and that that's it. I, oh, that absolutely. Ruins, yeah. So in terms of the team right now, I think it's interesting when you go through and look at their season by through blocks because they came out of the gate pretty damn hot. They go to Lake Tahoe. They play. They win at Lake Tahoe. They beat the crap out of the Flyers. They have the COVID scare against Buffalo. They go through that lull right before the deadline where it really looks dire that they're not going to be able to score at all. And then they kind of turn it on. So if you could walk me through a little bit of what this season was like for you. Yeah, um, definitely. Pretty much like you said, you know, the first uh, month and a half of the season, you know, you're thinking, wow, this team is going to, you know, contend for the president's trophy, you think. And then. And they, like you said, they just couldn't score a goal. And then the COVID stuff happened and it just seemed like, okay, well, they're going to need to make some major move at the deadline to maybe even make the playoffs. There was a time where I thought the Rangers could very well overtake them. And it looked like that was possible, especially with the head-to-head game still remaining between those two teams. And then not only with the Taylor Hall-Curtis Lazar trade, uh, Mike Riley, when they brought him yeah. in for a third-round pick, that was massive for the for the defense. and. You know, that's pretty much like we already discussed how it turned it around completely. And yeah, definitely uh, different stages of the season. Do you think the fact that it was the East only division schedule this year helped the fact that the Bruins were kind of went through that rut, that lull where they were able to not lose too much ground to the other teams because the top four in the division just kind of. Yeah, because the top four in the division just beat the shit out of each other for four yeah. and a half months. And then the Rangers would sneak up on one of them every now and then. It, w- it was a very, very weird season in that regard. And it made this division not the best, but I would say the most competitive. For sure. I, obviously, with uh, Buffalo and New Jersey, you weren't too uh, worried with those two teams. I was always expecting you know, Philly to just eventually make a push and go on like a five, seven game win streak and be back in you know, the talk for the bottom two spots but that that definitely helped and you know allowed them to not you know panic and make a rash move and overpay you know a week before the deadline and end up giving up a lot more for maybe a lesser player than taylor hall it's really really telling that 
Hall wanted to come to the Bruins for obviously, you know, the chance to win the cup, but he more than one report saying that he wouldn't go to certain other teams that were trying to trade for him, that he was trying to get his way to Boston. A, because, you know, Bruins can make a decent run. B, it's a good room to be in. And after being in the absolute dumpster fire that the Sabres were this year, it was probably a breath of fresh air to feel like, wow, they don't need me to be the superhero here. I can just be another one of the guys and help the team win. Absolutely. And I remember once they traded for him, yeah, in his uh, press conference, he was talking about how he doesn't have to be the guy, you know, playing behind Marshand and it'll take obviously the matchup away from him, but also the pressure. And, you know, he's always had to be the guy on every team he's been on. And, you know, some players just are really good, but they can't handle the pressure and the spotlight that comes with being the guy on whatever team they may be. And that's completely understandable. So how receptive were you to the initial Taylor Hall move? Were you a little concerned that maybe he was kind of getting towards the end of his peak of prime and that you might be buying low on a guy, but you really might not be getting all that much? Or were you pretty sure that once you dropped him into the Bruins lineup, he was going to play better? I was ecstatic. I, especially with what the Bruins had to give up, that was, it was incredible. I, a lot of Bruins fans were hesitant about trading for Taylor Hall. First, they thought the cost would be a lot more, which is understandable. Um, but I, you know, you look at his shooting percentage in Buffalo, it was a two something, correct? Yeah. I, yeah. You have to think he's better than that. Most <laughs> every player is. And uh, just, you know, I know his heart trophy season was is a couple of years removed from that, but you don't accidentally win a heart trophy. So, and then I was thinking to myself too, before Taylor Hall even said it, you know, he, he won't have to be the guy on this team. He'd be on the second line and that would take some pressure off of him and look what, who knows what he can do. And giving up Anders Bjork in a second is not that bad, especially for a team that needed to make a move and is approaching the end of the definite window to win a cup. So I was ecstatic from the start. And the other obvious storyline, you mentioned it briefly before, is the, they kind of had the goaltending carousel this year. I mean, they started, what, four, five different goalies this season? Four. Obvi- uh, what, what, they go up to six? <laughs> I think it was four. Uh, obviously, Rask, Halak, Swayman, and Vladar. Forgot Halak. I forgot Halak, yeah. Yeah, okay. poor guy. <laughs> One of the better backups in the league, too. And yeah. I really did see a serious contingent of people, a non, a decent, I don't follow, you know, a thousand Bruins fans, but I saw a decent vocal group of people who were legitimately saying, you know, maybe we could just ride Swayman the rest of the way because he played that well for them in the limited action he did get this year. Yeah, that definitely, if they were forced to go with him, I don't think that would have hurt them too much. He looked so calm, composed in every game he played, beginning with his first one. He's definitely looking like the goaltender of the future, but obviously when Rask, Rask's your guy this year, definitely, and moving on until he probably wants to retire or go back to Finland. So, yeah, that was it was incredible to see, I thought, especially because it was the time when they couldn't score. It happened all at the same time. Tuka and Yarrow. Yarrow was on the uh, COVID list, and he was on that list for about a month, and once he came back, he just wasn't the same. You could tell that that took a lot out of him, which obviously, yeah, 
And yeah, no, Swayman and Vladar for that matter, both came in and played really, really well. And, you know, as a Bruins fan, that's kind of been a worry, you know, post Rask, what does this crease look like? Because, you know, they've had the short-term answers in Hudobin a couple of years ago and then moving on to Halak, but they never really had that. Well, this guy looks like he could be the next number one and, you know, it looks like they have that. So it's definitely awesome to see all really four goalies have their own uh, I'd say weak in the spotlight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I pulled up his uh, ho- evolving hockey page while you were talking there. I mean, he ten starts and four goals saved above expected in ten starts. That's pretty damn good. I mean, I think Mark Andre Fleury led the league in the regular season. He had forty ish starts and he had like nineteen goals saved above expected. So four goals above in ten games. That's a really good sample to say. Yeah, it's only 10 games, but that's a decent foundation. And like you said, if you roll into next year with him as your number two and you slowly but surely, you're not trying to turn him and Rask into a tandem, but you want to give him 35% of the starts to kind of build him up over time. And we, we see it. That's how teams either maximize their window of contention even further or they mess up their window of contention by overpaying their goalie, or you do what Washington and Pittsburgh have done where you roll the dice on an unproven guy and you hamstring yourself because those unproven guys, they look decent in spurts, but we've seen what Tristan Yari has looked like. We saw Sam Soda, Vanacek for Washington. Goaltender can really mess you up if you move on too quickly. Absolutely, and for a while there, I was kind of expecting for Swayman to have to play a couple playoff games at least because Rask had an injury, came back and hurt himself in the first game back in just about a month. So it made you a little hesitant, not hesitant, I guess, but, you know, a goalie who hasn't played in over a month, you know, throwing him back in. But obviously Rask has looked phenomenal in the first five games of his playoff season. I think to me, this might be my personal bias coming out because I love this guy. He's one of my favorite players in the entire league to watch. And it kind of sounds ridiculous to say on a team that has like two guys who could legitimately win the Hart Trophy most years in Bergeron, um, Marshawn, and Pasternak. But for my money, I think McAvoy is the Bruins' most important player because of just how dominant he is and that he's the only guy who could do that job on the team. He's the only guy who could be the number one defenseman that plays power play and penalty kill. And you really saw him come into his own this year where you saw the flashes last year. Us analytics people thought he was this good, but to see him come out and do it the way he did this year, if I had a Norris Trophy vote, it would either be him or Adam Fox for me. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to, you know, what we discussed earlier, another guy who Chara took under his wing from the first game he made it, uh, McAvoy made his debut in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And to see him blossom over the years has been awesome. You know, he's not going to be, I don't think he's going to be the 60, 70 point guy. He doesn't get enough power play assists and even strength assists really to to dictate that. But he's just a monster at both ends of the ice and very underrated because he doesn't rack up those points, I think. I know a lot Definitely. of people, you know, with the advanced stats, you know, they look at that and they see how, how good he actually is. But, you know, so many people, you know, they just look at the, the assists and the points for a defenseman and judge of the defenseman based on that. But he just eats minutes and it's, <laughs> it's hard to, to come up with new words to say other than he's been absolutely phenomenal and definitely it's looks like the Bruins' future. 
Oh, absolutely. And I, I think up until this year, it was the same thing with Adam Fox last year where, you know, he, he didn't put up the point totals. I mean, D'Angelo had like 60 points last year and everyone who, you know, casually dropped in was like, oh, so that's going to be their first hand right D for the next X number of years because he puts up the gaudy point totals. I mean, I pulled it up while you were talking. McAvoy, 59% at five on five of the scoring chances. Just absolutely ridiculous because he's not getting sheltered minutes this isn't like you know a vince dunn on the blues who put up the really nice underlying numbers but it was third pair minutes getting heavy offensive zone starts mcavoy's playing the best player i mean against they were playing him against the ovechkin line and he was about 63 64 percent of the scoring chances and about the same in terms of expected goals so you can tell he's creating more scoring chances he's on the ice for more quality scoring chances and they're not giving up anything either i i think they outscored the ovechkin line five to one when mcavoy was on the ice in the series so he's clearly doing everything you need out of your number one defenseman yeah, it's his uh, impact goes well beyond the standard stat sheet, and just <laughs> I don't even I can't even think of the words, but it's been phenomenal to see him come from. Like I said, that first game in Ottawa in 2017, thrown into the fire, and he handled it more than okay, and just been blossoming ever since. Like I said, Chara was perfect in you know teaching him how to be a pro and how to be the man on the on the back end to lead the team and hopefully uh hopefully it's a Bruin for a long time <laughs> yeah I mean we're we're gonna see it very quickly come up here in the next year or two where all these guys from the last few draft classes they're gonna get paid where Quinn Hughes McAvoy Fox McCarr all these young defensemen it's just a matter of whichever one gets paid last is probably gonna make the most unless McAvoy wants to join the six and a half million dollar club with Marshawn Bergeron and Pasta where it's like it's fine I'll take as much as them I don't want to be different yeah. Which is a real advantage the Bruins have because that is such a positive place to play and where all those guys kind of buy into it. I mean, I forget when it might have been two years ago, might have been three years ago, but there was that video of Chara in the room after a game and he was just like, yeah, we don't single out the rookies. They're just another guys on the team. We don't want anyone to feel different from anyone else. And it's just... As someone who's had a team kind of in turmoil, as you know, some people might know the Rangers kind of had a bumpy season this year, that kind of leadership would have been appreciated at some point in time. Where, so, so not to say an adult in the room, because these are obviously all adults, but an emotional adult in the room to stabilize oh, things. Yeah, and going back to, I think for McAvoy in his first uh, playoff series back in 2017 and even his full rookie year, having even a guy like I know the signing was awful money wise, but David Backus in that room. That I think that uh twenty sixteen, seventeen Bruins team does not make the playoffs without his leadership. I I'm convinced on that and you look back before even Mac back to the leadership stuff, even like Chris Kelly back in the mid twenty tens, he was a big leader for that team and it just shows that they do value that leadership which in turn helps these young players like McAvoy blossom more than probably they expected when they drafted him. And one of the things that I wanted to bring up specifically, because now that the series is over, we can kind of look at it. I think part of why the Bruins were able to pull away against Washington in five games is just the emotional and the intangible stuff, because 
after two games, I was pretty convinced this was going to be a seven-game series where, you know, one goal is going to be the difference here down the stretch. And the Bruins survived, what, the first three games went to overtime. They won two of them. And after that, it kind of seemed like Washington was kind of just drained. They didn't have any juice. And, you know, the stupid penalties, Ovechkin yelling at Vanacek, that kind of, uh, Samsonov, that kind of thing, where the Bruins just kind of, they rolled with the punches. They took the series as it was going. They win the two games in overtime. You're up two games to one. I figured Washington would punch back. I know I listened to your show the other day, and you were pretty confident. Yeah, they're going to get a game here or there somewhere. They're too good not to. But the Bruins were just ready. They were emotionally ready. They were uh, everything aside from, you know, just the on-ice stuff. They were ready for that. They knew Washington was going to come out. I mean, they didn't play particularly great last night or the game before that. They just scored the goals. Yeah, absolutely. They they kind of... It's not like they sat back on purpose, but they were very good at, you know, understanding, okay, Washington's going to have the momentum here. We're just got to survive and then, you know, take our chances when they present themselves. And I was very surprised to see it only be five games. I thought after that double overtime game, going into game four, I was like, okay, well, they're going to tie the series. And then once that didn't happen, I was like, oh, well, they're definitely not going to lose on home ice. They're, like you said, they're too good of a team. The leadership on that team, you know, Carlson, Ovechkin, Backstrom. I thought they they came out flying in Game Five. Tuukka asks the reason they didn't win that one, obviously. But yeah, definitely surprising to see that it was only a five-game series. Very close five-game series at that. Very much so. I, for, from someone who was very happy to see Tom Wilson in a handshake line, sad. I, I would like to thank the Bruins <laughs> for their service to the hockey community. We 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 appreciate it. Oh, yeah, I know. So- I know you're very of the same opinion to me where you just kind of get tired of Washington where it's just constantly someone acting like a clown. It's always, I'm going to run into the goalie at full speed. I'm going to hit someone in a corner. I'm going to slash someone. I'm going to spear someone. It's just at some point, I I know you talked about it a bit was just, are you guys going to call anything or are we just going to let them mug the brew mug the other team until someone gets hurt? Yeah, it definitely seemed like, every game was going to be a new Washington capital to either make a dirty play or just start pushing people for no reason. You know, you went from Tom Wilson to Brendan Dillon to Garnet Hathaway, Nick Dowd, and then Mantha, like you said, <laughs> full speed running over Rask for no apparent reason, but it's definitely tiring to play again. I mean, well, to watch, I guess. So you're you know, yeah. against your favorite team. I can only imagine having to, keep your head up on literally every play to make sure your head doesn't actually get taken off. But yeah, I'm just glad that, like you said, Tom Wilson was on the losing end of the handshake line. And, you know, you feel bad for watching Chara go through that line with his uh, former uh, teammates and longtime friends, but. (laughs) I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because that's Chara was there for ever I know he obviously wasn't there forever. He's played for other teams before he went to Boston. But what was that like emotionally where the Bruins were pretty, we're not going to bring him back. He had a few suitors in the offseason. I know the Rangers are one of the teams that inquired, but what was it like just seeing him on another team this year after so many years of just being the captain of the Bruins? I know NBC must have said it about a thousand times (laughs) in five games, but, you know, he was the captain of the Bruins for 14 years. Yeah, it was very strange to see the first time I saw him in that Capitals red and and that was probably top four 
of the teams that I wanted him to not sign with. I was hoping he'd sign with some team that I didn't really care about so I could root for him and maybe hope that if it's not the Bruins, maybe he wins the cup. But uh, yeah, no, when it was announced that he signed with Washington, I was, I don't want to say I didn't believe in what the Bruins were doing, but it's (laughs) such a, uh, such a guess to, you know, hope that after losing Krug and then Chara, that the young guys were going to step up and play as they did and be able to handle that elevated role. But yeah, no, it, it was great to see Bergeron finally with the C on his jersey. Absolutely. And it's weird. It, after the first week or two, it was kind of like, okay, he's gone. Like, not to sound disrespectful, but it, yeah. You, you survived. You realized, okay, like, this is weird, but we'll overcome this. We've got a strong enough group of guys. We'll overcome this. We have strong leaders where they, they know what they needed to do. And it was, like you said, it was very weird. I mean, even during the playoff series, the last week, it was kind of just weird. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's on the Capitals now. This is yeah. this is wrong. Like, after they won in overtime, there was the still image of him skating by the Bruins, hugging in the <laughs> corner after they won. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's not on the Bruins anymore. After 14 years of that, you're just kind of used to it. Yeah, and it uh, kind of made me wonder if, uh, especially back in March when Tom Wilson threw that hit on Brandon Carlo, it made me wonder if uh, Chara kind of wanted to go at Wilson a little bit in the locker room. <laughs> but yeah, that that kind of stuff too, you know, like, oh, I see him pushing Marchand or Bergeron. That's, that's just so weird. Yeah. What impressed you the most about the Bruins in the playoff series in their five games against Washington? Definitely the uh, Taylor Hall, David Krejci, and Craig Smith line. Going into the series, you knew they were going to be a big factor, obviously, because I thought the first lines of both teams would kind of be a wash. And obviously, you need your depth in the playoffs. Also, Jake DeBrusque was a real nice surprise for the first three games. Last two were kind of eh, but... Yeah, DeBrusque, you know, he's had the awful regular season, and you think, all right, well, this is a guy that the Bruins took in that first round in 2015, passing on some other players. You need him to at least show up in the playoffs, and and he did for the first couple games, and that was very, I don't want to say surprising, but it was refreshing to see because that was a guy most people had kind of written off for the year. You know, maybe he'll come back in the fall, and, you know, when things are a little more normal, he might play better. But, yeah, I'd say the second line and Jake DeBrusque were really – uh, surprising. Explain DeBrusque to me like I am an idiot, because you see the flashes, he's had good stretches of underlying numbers. What is it about his game that is so inconsistent? Is it just he he's a, a pure goal scorer and, you know, goal scorers have their ruts? Or is there something else about his game that's inhibiting his ability to be consistent? He's a very confidence-driven player, and once he starts fighting it, he he really starts fighting it even worse. That's that's what I've noticed. And then, you know, he'll go 15 games without a goal, but then all of a sudden he's got three and two games or something like that. It's really been bizarre to see because he has the talent, he has the the skill, and I f- I forget who posted it, but I saw something on social media about his his stats and, you know, advanced stats and all that before Nazem Kadri cross-checked him in the face and then after, and it's night and day. So I don't, I don't know if it's too easy to say, oh, well, that, 
that had something to do with it. I think it did. I don't know how he continued playing and didn't miss a game after being cross-checked in the face. So I think that has uh, that helped all these struggles really come to the surface. And yeah, it's very bizarre to see how uh, inconsistent he can be at times and how really confidence-driven he is. You mentioned Nazim Kadri, so obviously I have to ask you, is there a certain part of you, certain evil part of you that wants to see the Leafs in the conference final? Uh, I don't know. I would like for them to not win a round so that way the memes and all the good times about them not winning a playoff series since 2004 can continue, but I, that would be an amazing series to watch, that's for sure. Yeah, okay, but I the, think I would like for them not to win a single series again. <laughs> I, I See, the thing is, from a team-building perspective, like if it wasn't the Leafs and I was just like objectively grading them, they've done as best you possibly can at asset management, drafting well, developing oh, well, yeah. that kind of thing. But, you know, it is funny that, you know, because hockey media is so Toronto-centric and so Leafs-centric, that whenever they melt down, it just, you know, it drives a new cycle for two and a half weeks that, oh, oh yeah. they lost to the Bruins again in seven games. Well, who are they going to trade this offseason? What are they going to do? And, you know, this past summer, it was, we're going to bring in a bunch of old guys. We're going to bring in Jumbo. We're going to bring in Wayne Simmons. We're going to bring Jason Spezza back for another year. And we're going to promote Rasmus Sandin. And we're going to roll the dice on the same group. Just, you know, we're going to have some old guys on top of that now. But going back, because obviously the Bruins have to win another round to get there. And we're not going to know who they're going to play till at least Thursday when the Islanders and Penguins potentially could wrap up their series, depending what happens tonight. And then do you really have a strong lean either way of who you'd rather the Bruins play Islanders Penguins? Um, That's a tough one because the Islanders played the Bruins really well, but a bulk of those games were before the deadline and the Bruins are a very much different team than them. But I, I kind of like their matchup against, um, Man, I was thinking first. I was thinking Penguins, and I'm like, well, I actually kind of like the Islanders better. But uh, I don't know. I I think both teams present unique challenges. I I'd like to think they could take advantage of the Penguins' goaltending if they were to advance. So I'd say maybe the Penguins. But then again, you can't really Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. You can't really just uh, pick them to go against. But that'll be a good series either way. I think. Oh, definitely. I mean, like we said, this was the most competitive division in the regular season for exactly what you said. All of these teams are pretty talented. They're all good at specific things. The Islanders are going to grind you into a pulp playing that very heavy style where they like to cycle. They like to go high-low. They like to get the second opportunity. Whereas Pittsburgh likes to play in transition, like to get the puck out of the zone quick, get the defenseman jumping up into the play, whether it's Matheson or Latang jumping up into the mix. In terms of matchups, they played really well against Washington because they were able to rattle them. I'll say rattle them. You didn't say that. I said that. But do you <laughs> think against Pittsburgh, I think against either Pittsburgh or the Islanders, I don't think you'd have the same intangibles advantage that you did against Washington. So I think it would be a little bit more even so than just the talent because 
we've seen the Barry Trotz Islanders, in spite of, you know, all conventional wisdom, beat better teams than them for a year and a half now, two years now. And we saw Pittsburgh this year lose, I think, the second most games of any team in the league to injury. And, you know, they were in the mix to win the entire division and ended up winning the division on the last day. So we, it was a very competitive division. And no matter who you're going to play, it's probably going to be a six or seven game series. As far as maximizing the Bruins ceiling, who do you think really needs to be that X factor, that key player, if the Bruins are going to make a second round, a conference final, a cup final? Who really needs to excel for them? I'll go back to Jake DeBrusque because okay. he's been playing on the third line, and that I think that's your most important line in the playoffs. That The play of a third line can obviously dictate everything. And if he can continue playing with Charlie Coyle as well as they did against Washington, then I think they'll have to do stuff pretty bad to lose that series. But yeah, I'd say Jake DeBrusque is the X factor going forward. How important is Kevin Miller getting healthy for them? Honestly, now that they're past Washington and not going up against as physical an opponent in the Islanders or the Penguins, I don't think he uh I don't think his loss would be felt as much as if they were playing Washington in the second round because that's I think what he was mostly in for. He was all right, really up and down in all the games, but he's definitely needed for the physical presence and you know, that's why I'm glad that they won that series in five and didn't even give them six or seven because then they'd be banged up probably going into a series. But now they have time to rest, get their second vaccines. And uh, Miller definitely is, I don't want to, I don't know what the right word is, but. <laughs> Interchangeable? Yeah, that. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, because I'm looking. I mean, Grizzly McAvoy is about as rock solid a first pair as you can have. Riley's been Oh, he was up and down in that series against yeah. Washington, but he was fine. Carlo hasn't been incredible since he came back from his concussion, but, you know, he also hasn't played a ton. He needs to kind of get back up to game speed after missing games for, you know, a month, what was it, two months almost. It takes a while to get back up to speed, him and Riley. And then Clifton was pretty good for them against Washington, too. I like, I think I like your defense a lot more than I thought I did now that I just reread it to myself. Yeah, Clifton was definitely a question mark going in in the regular season. Just like DeBrusque, he wasn't that effective, but uh, he channeled his inner 2019 Clifton <laughs> in the playoffs where he really stepped up and delivered, and he didn't get his name on the score sheet a bunch, but some massive blocks in the penalty kill, big plays moving the puck up the ice, and you know, definitely a surprise to see, and you know, you got to hope especially with Miller out, that that right-handed third-pairing defenseman can continue that play. So, as we wrap up here, I like to usually wrap up with what I call a vibe check. So, the most obvious one is, how confident are you in the team's talent? Do you feel like the Bruins are talented enough to compete with every other team in the playoffs? Or do you feel like they're kind of a tier lower than, say, Colorado Vegas, Carolina Tampa? I'd say they're right on the brink of Colorado and Vegas. They're just a little below them. I just think Colorado's a juggernaut this year. Same could be said for Vegas, but I like them over most teams. Okay. I, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I think I would re I'd really like to see a Carolina-Boston series with both teams fully healthy. I was really looking forward to that last year, but Carolina was just far too injured by the time we oh, yeah. got there for that to be competitive. But that'd be a really good conference final if it got to there. 
Nat, do you feel a confidence in Bruce Cassidy's decision-making? Does he have any coaching shortfalls? Does he cling to certain players too much? Is he too unwilling to change? Or do you feel pretty confident in his ability to get a pulse of the team? Oh, yeah, I'm pretty confident in that. And if anything, he's a little quick to uh, juggle the lines up, make the adjustments, which you saw Peter Laviolette in Washington was not willing to do for the longest time with the power play. Just wouldn't make a single adjustment until game five when they're already losing. So he's definitely the exact opposite of that. He will make the changes if need be. He even in the regular, I don't think he'd do it in the playoffs, but even the, in the regular season, if uh, David Pasternak had like a lazy play, he'd bump him down a line for a period or two just to, you know, keep everyone, you know, fully checked in and, and whatnot. I, he's one of the best coaches in the league, obviously, since the Bruins are expected to be well. He's not going to win a Jack Adams every year, but he's certainly in the conversation every do you feel confident in the Bruins' front office ability to identify talent and maximize their window going forward? I'd say mostly confident. They have made okay. some head-scratching moves in the past, and they don't have the best July 1st signing record. <laughs> that's for sure. But um, I, they're scouting. They're, they make awesome trades. It seems like they don't lose a trade too often and you could make a uh, an argument for that kasha trade but who could have known that kasha was just going to get injured so much but yeah i'm mostly confident as long as they don't get into that july 1st we have to overpay get that big name that just is media driven hype pretty much and yeah i'm i'd say mostly confident so no second david backus is what you're saying (laughs) no please no can I interest you in a lightly used Kevin Hayes and the return to Boston story that is going to happen every single summer until the Flyers entirely <laughs> blow it up? <laughs> That's one advantage the Bruins do have is that there is a very populous contingent of Massachusetts players who get to the NHL and want to play for their childhood team. I mean, that can go wrong. You saw it with Jimmy Hayes very, very badly yep. where that is a real problem that happens where guys go home and it just doesn't work out for whatever reason. So Bro, what is going on with Jack Edwards? I <laughs> like I, I enjoy, wish I had an answer. I watch a lot of the game. I watch a lot of the Bruins a lot of the time because they're always good and I want to watch them. But and like he's obvious. Do you think that's actually who he is, or do you think he's playing a character? Like I, I'm being like Stephen A. Smith is a character. Do you think it's that kind of thing, or do you think Jack Edwards is actually like this? I think he's mostly like that, but he identifies the moments where he can be the stereotypical Jack Edwards, and he does not hesitate to take advantage of that. And the one thing that I will say about him, he's one of the biggest homers in the league. He owns it, though. Yeah, and the one thing I've noticed about him is if, like, in the, oh gosh, which is one of the series against the Leafs in 2018 or 2019, the Leafs scored a massive goal to go up, and he's not one of those announcers that'll call it with a soft voice, monotone. He gets into it for both teams, and I I think that's a little more respectable than some of these, like I'll say it, the Colorado Avalanches <laughs> podcast team. I remember when the Bruins scored in an overtime game against them, he was like, shot, scores. I don't know what it went <laughs> off of, but it went in the net. And it's like, okay, well, I get it. You're not supposed to be pro-Bruins, but at least have some 
emphasis in your call you know the crowd's going crazy and all that at least put a little bit of energy behind it which jack edwards does so i think he deserves a little bit more respect but i can't <laughs> i can't diagnose jack edwards because he is his own uh he's his own breed He's a special character. It's very weird. Every now and then I see clips of Sports Center from the 90s and him doing Sports Center with like Rich Eisen. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Jack Edwards is like a normal sports person once upon a time. Yeah. He wasn't just always the manifestation of the Bruins logo in a suit. <laughs> the last thing I want to ask you is the question I ask every single guest in the playoffs, not including the Bruins. What is a playoff series you would like to see happen and why? Oh, man. Well, I'm going to go with the easy answer here. I'm going to go Colorado Vegas <laughs> and just for the obvious dynamite matchup of two heavyweights that if they weren't in the same division could both be in the Stanley Cup final. The last question for you before I get you out of here and we can talk a little bit about the line changes podcast. Who do you not want to see the Bruins play here? Who would if the Bruins were to match up against them, would you be pretty concerned? Uh, the answer I was almost going to give you is is Tampa because obviously the last two times the Bruins have played them it's been short five game series but I'm gonna I'm gonna say this like if they make it all the way Colorado that yeah. is the team that scares me the most I'd like to see that simply for the matchup of the two top lines and whatnot but that would be a tough series for sure. Before I get you out of here, Bradley, please. Tell the folks about the line changes pod, the kind of energy you guys bring, release schedule, that kind of thing. Oh, well, my uh, friend Alex, he's on Twitter at BigBadBruin73 and I. We started the uh, the podcast back after the 2019 Stanley Cup final loss with the name centering around Brad Marsh and going around for the awful change, uh, letting Alex Petrangelo score to go up 2-0. Uh, yeah, we... Uh, you know, we we like to think we bring a real practical take to, you know, the Bruins media side of things because, you know, you get lost in all these uh, media members who have a undying love for a certain player and would never criticize them. And, and we try to upload every, you know, two or three games, get about a week in and then, you know, recap the week and see what's going on ahead. And, you know, it's been it's been fun. I never thought I'd have my own podcast or even want to do one but it's been a lot of fun and you know the support from you know the people that listen to every episode is awesome to see it's very rewarding as a content creator to see people engage with and like your content i can definitely agree with you on that yes absolutely and with that i want to thank bradley for stopping by for the show it was really nice to talk about the Bruins. I really do hope we get a good second round series. I don't want to see another five, six gamer. I'd like to see the Bruins in a really good competitive series against either the Islanders or the Penguins. I don't really have a preference. I mean, no one really wants to watch the Islanders for another seven games, but at the same time, they win all these games. But I want to thank Bradley for stopping by. I will see you guys tomorrow. Have a good one.